0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host Paul Metza. My motto for the show is cool people from all walks of life and from all 50 states. Tonight we have the pleasure of chatting by phone with Austin, Texas resident Mr. Jesse Sublet. Jesse's a musician. A published author with over 12 titles to his name, and he has also written documentaries, essays, screenplays, and he's a songwriter as well, and we will be featuring his music throughout the show tonight. He not only knows his Austin, Texas history, he helped create part of the scene as a founding member of the seminal Austin punk rock band, The Skunks. He's been honored with several awards, including being inducted into the Texas Institute of Letters in 2002 and the Austin Music Hall of Fame in 2008 with the Skunks. His most recent book is 1960's Austin Gangsters' Organized Crime That Rocked the Capitol. We are going to be covering a lot of ground tonight with Mr. Sublett, so let's get right into it. Jesse, thanks for taking the time to speak with us tonight. Thanks for having me, Paul. What's the weather like down in Austin, my second favorite city in the country? I don't think it gets much
1: better, really. It's a beautiful day, sunny, almost not a cloud in the sky, and it's about... It's between 70 and 80 right oh, now. Oh, man, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm jealous. Although the sun's out today in Minnesota, finally, after several weeks of not seeing it, you can actually feel the warmth. But uh, I know it's a beautiful time of year in Austin, Texas. Jesse, where were you born, and how did you end up in Austin?
1: I was born in Fredericksburg, Texas, and I grew up in Johnson City, Texas. Both towns are west of here. Johnson City is 45 miles, uh, up two ninety from here. And it's, uh, deeper in the hill country than Austin. And it's a tiny town and really about its only redeeming features that, uh, was the, it's where Lyndon Johnson grew up. And huh. so, uh, that made me feel kind of special growing up in the sixties. I mean, you know, he was my hero, despite, you know, uh, the bad experiences of the, uh, um, uh, Vietnam War, which uh, and so uh, yeah, my people were from there basically. Uh, uh, I grew up in, in the German uh, Lutheran family and community there. Okay, but Austin was always on the uh, on the radar. In, in, well, within striking distance. So uh, once I was able to get out, either by tagging along with my older brother. Uh, or uh, driving on my own uh, and using uh, his uh, expired driver's license, license to get into clubs, uh, <laughs> I was going out to uh, places like the, the Vulcan Gas Company in the, in the late '60s and Armadillo when it opened, and to uh, the, the the concerts they had uh, here and in San Antonio. So I got in on a, a scene that uh, that was pretty cool, pretty pretty wild and. Uh, you know, sort of set the stage for a lot of things that came
0: later. Now, let's talk about the Vulcan Gas Company. Wasn't that right on Congress, right downtown Austin?
1: Yeah, it's 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 really hard to picture now. I mean, it was in the, in one of the old buildings. A lot the, the structures are still in place. They they have that low low uh, profile uh, of, from the uh, Victorian era, so they're they're not. Not tall buildings, but so it was in one of what used to be a shoe store, and uh, it was the first hippie joint in Austin. And that's really uh, hard to picture nowadays that now that things are spruced up downtown. But downtown used to be a really seedy area, and there were lots of other, uh, uh, seedy bars, uh, you know, within blocks of the state capitol, right? when the Squares got upset about uh, this hippie joint opening up, it it was funny that they didn't say anything about places like the Gay Hound Lounge and other <laughs> dumps that were
0: <laughs> nearby. That was yeah. the actual name, the Gay Hound Lounge?
1: Yes, I remember that quite well, yeah. yeah.
0: So what were some of the shows you saw at uh, at the Armadillo World Headquarters and the Vulcan?
1: At the Vulcan, I saw Matt Slipscomb twice i saw Joe williams uh uh, freddy fred mcdowell mississippi fred mcdowell who famously always said i don't play no rock and roll and uh and uh several of the uh, psychedelic rock and blues bands uh, including uh, hub city movers and onion creek and various bands that uh, uh they were weird they weren't great bands so that I I missed, unfortunately, uh, the Velvet Underground. Hmm. And uh, one of my best friends uh, saw the Fugs. Wow. never stopped talking about (laughs) it. And so anyway, that was the Vulcan. And uh, those are probably the highlights for me because I couldn't, you know, just go. I didn't know that much anyway. Right. So uh, what was happening? So, but the concert, the shows that the, the Armadillo, uh, really Roxy Music in 75 was is one of my peak memories and also Iggy Pop wow uh, I think the next year or, yeah, or so and the tubes were really sensational huh. and uh, but uh, the, the guy who really rocked the house and was a huge favorite was Freddie King and I saw sure. him a bunch of times and he was just really a, a force of nature um so that was definitely one of the... And Freddie was a he,
0: Freddie was a Texas uh, uh, resident. I mean, he was born in Texas, wasn't he? I think so, and I can't
1: remember where. I want to say somewhere like
0: the Gulf Coast somewhere, but I, I, I don't remember. Did you ever get a chance to see Lightning Hopkins?
1: No, I didn't, and that's too bad, because he played there a lot, mm-hmm. but I never saw him. I, I just saw... I, I just heard a song today that just knocked me out by him. I guess I would never really listened to the lyrics that closely, but uh, Katie May. Oh,
0: yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really
1: funny.
0: Now, you know, Rocky Erickson and the 13th floor elevators were kind of considered maybe the first psychedelic rock and roll band. Uh, yeah. And they played a lot at the Vulcan. Did you get a chance to see them?
1: No, I didn't, but I saw... No, the closest I came was when I... Uh, when he first time he I think it was the first time he came back from uh, the Rusk uh, Sanitarium uh, and uh, had a version of the elevators called uh, that in 1973. So that's as early as I ever saw him, uh, and uh, it it was really good. I I know it wasn't. Uh, it was probably not a fraction as good as the elevators in that, you know, fiery one or two year period, you know, they really flamed out fast. Right. And and the Vulcan started largely to be a home base for them. But, and that was 67. And really, uh, they started just really uh, going downhill because, you know, too much drugs and insanity.
0: Right. And the Rocky yeah. ended up? Uh, geez, almost destitute and homeless for, for several years. And I know he had a spell or two in the sanitarium. Uh, but when I was down in Austin the last time in 2012 as part of South by Southwest, he had started his, uh, his comeback. And I've seen some yeah. of his stuff on YouTube and, uh, he seems to be doing well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a bit, it's, it was really unbelievable uh, that that happened, uh, and actually, in the uh, when the punk thing started here and the skunks were playing, you know, uh, all the time uh, and a lot of the time we played at uh, at our home base, Raoul's, and also at the Continental Club, and uh, also sometimes at a place called Sub Creek. Well, we played. We our friends had a band, uh, the Explosives, and they were Rocky's backup band during that period. Huh. I'm talking about 1978, 79, 80, and so she was. Uh, you know, uh, he wasn't driving a car or anything, right. but he could sing and play great. Wow! Uh, he was. You know, his voice was really in fine form. You know, his
0: uh-huh.
1: when he'd do those horror songs, it make the the hair on the back of your neck stand up <laughs> uh, so yeah i don't think he was happy and you know he wasn't really c- capable of carrying on much of a conversation but uh musically he was uh he was a uh, you know fine form
0: you know there's another band i've heard a lot about one of the early austin texas psychedelic bands called uh, shiva's headband
1: oh yeah I, I i actually saw them quite a few times at the vulcan huh. uh, They played there a whole lot. Uh, That was their home base, and uh, you know they were they were not that great, Uh, but they were you know revolutionary for that time and place.
0: Especially in Austin, uh, we've got Jesse Sublett on the phone for the whole show tonight. We're going to be talking uh, about a lot of stuff. He's a very creative guy, including his uh, recent book called 1960s Austin Gangsters uh, Organized Crime That Rocked the Capitol. And we're going to talk about how... Uh, kind of the cultures that that kind of redneck criminal culture uh, was kind of butting up against the uh, the psychedelic scene uh, that was happening in austin in the mid-60s uh, we're going to listen to uh, several of jesse's songs in the next set, we're going to talk about uh, uh, one of the uh, the great rock uh, punk punk rock bands out of Austin, the Skunks, that Jesse was a part of, with another fellow that plays in Minneapolis quite off, often, named uh, um, John D. Graham. So we're going to go out on this set with a song by the Skunks called "The Boy from Armageddon," and uh, then more with Jesse Sublett. <laughs>
2: Can't get enough of Paul Metzah. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen?
3: Six years ago, Dr. Emily Stein was confronted with a life-changing situation. Her grandmother developed rheumatoid arthritis and was unable to maintain her own dental hygiene. Unfortunately, her assisted living facility didn't have the resources to help her maintain her dental health either. Once her dental health deteriorated, her overall health deteriorated too. It wasn't long until she had multiple tooth extractions and a severe stroke. That's when Emily put her Stanford background in microbiology and immunology to work. She created an oral care lozenge, or Smart Mint, that manages oral bacteria to promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company dedicated to addressing public health by targeting the root cause of dental disease. Because let's face it, we all could use a little extra help supplementing our daily dental care routine. Visit dailydentalcares.com or go to Amazon to purchase our lozenges and use promo code ddc nine fifty zero two for a 25% discount on your first purchase.
4: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, care, or prevent any disease. Daily Dental Care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices.
5: Someone asked if I really do love my Rudy Luther Toyota Sienna as much as I say I do. Well, this week I've got groceries, a Target run, seven sports practices with carpooling for four of them, two games, three music lessons, 4-H, dance, helping a friend move. We'll also probably have three play dates. I'll have to drive to work and I'll have at least one weekend family outing. Yes, it's a lot, but I get to do it all in relaxing comfort and style. Yes, I do love my Sienna and you can fall in love for yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169. Hello, this is Ellen Krug with Hidden Edges Radio on Sundays from 1 to 2 p.m. Join me this Sunday, Mother's Day, where I'll interview a Korean adoptee about what it means to be adopted in America and what it means to have a relationship between her and her adoptive parents. It'll be a fascinating and interesting interview. I hope you can join me. Hidden Edges Radio, challenging, passionate, perspective-changing on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, micro-needling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit brendingelectrolysis.com. Cold
0: River Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We just heard a tune by my guest, who will be with me on the show all night tonight, Mr. Jesse Sublett, a song called Cold River. Jesse, when we ended uh, the first set, we played a song by the skunks called The Boy from Armageddon. Tell us how the skunks... Got together, and what was the punk rock scene like in Austin back in 77 uh, 78 when you were such a part of it?
1: It was a fight all the time. I, it, it, you know, there was uh, in the mid 70s the the rock scene had just kind of uh, almost all but suffocated due to uh, the uh, uh, research the resurgence of country music in the form of a uh, Cosmic Cowboy, Progressive Country, and whatever else it was called, and right. so all the clubs were just doing uh, country music, and so if you like rock and roll, uh, it was a uh, it was hard times. So uh, there was a little, little club on on the drag that uh, that was one of the few places that a band could play if they weren't. Uh, non-top 40 bands. They had frat party bands who could play at a couple of other clubs, but this this club had kind of an open booking policy, and it was called Gemini's, and it was, you know, it's kind of a dive, but uh, it, was, it was decent. And uh, so my blues band, Jelly Roll, used to play there. So uh, in late 77, when we decided to start these funk bands, uh, uh, that was a place we thought we would play. So, uh, Eddie Munoz, uh, also known as Faz Eddie, who later went on to, to join the Souls. he and I re- uh, had been in the band Jelly Roll, okay. and that band broke up, and we were hanging out with uh, these girls and uh, Kathy Valentine, Carla Olson, and a drummer by the name of Marilyn Dean. And Marilyn and Kathy were very young; they were like fifteen and sixteen, and uh, they had uh, told us when we first met them that they were going to start a rock band and. It's kind of unheard of for uh, uh, girls to say we're starting a girl rock band. Right. Uh, It was just, it it just didn't happen in those days. But they were were the real deal. They could play. And Carla had been playing for a while. So uh, they, but they couldn't find a girl bass player. So they asked me to do it. And so I did it. And that was a band called The Violators. And so as we were practicing, Eddie was uh, hanging out at our rehearsals and uh during the breaks uh he and i would jam and so so we decided to start a band and um uh, he came up with the name the skunks seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> later on i kind of regretted it but uh so we all started playing together in january of 1978 and we'd already booked the gig uh before the sex pistols came but when the sex pistols played san antonio it was a big deal and so, like, seven or ten days after that, uh, all these people were going, wow, I wish I would have gone to that thing. It sounded like it was really wild and weird. And so...
0: And that was the, that 30, was, excuse me, Jesse, that was kind of the legendary show they played at. I want to say the place was called Billy Bob's or something, but it was a country, exact, uh, yeah country western uh, joint, right?
1: Yeah, let's see. I think, uh, what was it called? Uh, Randy's Rodeo. Okay, they, I'm sure they did play a place called uh, Billy Bob's, though, because that was the kind of place that they booked the tour into. So, yeah, it was very confrontational. They came out, uh, you know, sounding really good and raw uh, until uh, uh, Steve Jones broke a string and they kind of fell apart for a while. They didn't seem to know how to deal with it when the guitar player right. uh, messed up. But uh, but it was a fun show, and uh, it just really created a lot of
0: interest. Wow, so you were actually at that show. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. And
1: uh, You know, it's one of those deals where, like, so many people say they were there, that there were really that many people there. You know, they would have had to be in an, in an arena or something. <laughs> but I was really there. And everybody, you know, you looked out around and you saw all these people who you'd seen at the Iggy Pop show and... Maybe Roxy music and other cool events where people had gone at, they didn't have a place to go, you know, until mm-hmm. punk rock happened. Right. So it was real cool. But I, the, I f- neglected to mention that the club that we thought we were going to play at, Gemini's, had gone out of business uh, that summer. And uh, these uh, Mexicans took it over to make a te- Tejano bar mm-hmm. called Raul's. Okay. And uh, they weren't doing too well uh by wintertime and so they're open minded so uh, kathy and i went to to talk to them and uh met them and said hey uh you know we have this uh these uh, punk bands uh, can we play here and they said yeah but uh i i don't think they expected anything to happen i it was largely because the girls were cute mm-hmm. and uh and uh, the manager joseph uh you know was very flirtatious he was kind of like a Mexican Santa Claus-looking dude. Right. Really Homie guy. They were great people. Uh, we we loved the guys who owned that club.
0: Well, it was kind of like how CBGB's, uh, you know, got going with the punk scene out there because there was, a, you know, it's just a a dive bar in the Bowery, and uh, musicians, uh, punk musicians like Television and Patti Smith and the Ramones were looking for a place to play, And boom! all of a sudden, because there's one club, there's a scene.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, uh, it was a failure as a bluegrass club, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, failure is the, uh, uh, what do they call it? Not the mother of invention. There's another expression for that. But a lot of great things come out of, you know, failure.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you guys, the skunks, then, um, yeah, and CBGBs is some. I mean, it's that that stood for country bluegrass and something else, country blues and bluegrass or something. Yeah. CBGBs, um, country bluegrass and blues, I guess. But anyway, yeah. um, you guys got in a van and hit the road. You were name checked about a month ago on my radio show. There was a fellow named Terry Katzman who was a uh, sound engineer at at 7th Street Entry, which was the sister club to 1st mm-hmm. Avenue. And he was also one of the, the first sound guys and record label guys and, and a bit of a manager for Who's Could Do? And I asked him uh, some of, you know, if some of his most memorable shows that he had seen over the years. And he mentioned The Skunks probably 78 or 79. Do you guys, uh, do you remember playing in Minneapolis? And if so, what yeah, club that's that was? Really-
1: yeah, uh, it was uh, probably 1980. Okay, uh, I think because uh, John D had left and he was replaced by this redheaded guitar player uh, 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 named Doug, and Doug had uh, food poisoning or something, and
0: uh,
1: during our set he started vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought over. it was
0: part of the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, he puked his guts <laughs> out and then resumed playing, and it, and. Uh, Uh, was quite a trooper about it, Uh, and uh, it was funny because Doug often suffered on the road Uh, I'm not, I can't tell the story, but uh, well, one time he got, uh, we pulled (laughs) we pulled over Uh, oh yeah, it was on the way to Colorado Springs, which is a monstrous drive from here, it's doable, but it's it's debilitating and uh somewhere where we pulled over to to take a leak uh some wind blew up some poison ivy on his, on his <laughs> penis well. and and he he it, it was in he was bedridden we played the gig but like he was like you know he wanted to be taken to the hospital
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, that sounds like a blues song waiting to happen. Yeah. We've got Jesse Sublet on the phone for the whole show tonight and uh, a couple more sets with, with him on the Wall of Power Radio Hour after these
4: messages.
3: Hello friends, I've been talking to you about Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens, Minnesota's first green cemetery dedicated to celebrating life and protecting our environment. One of the many wonderful things they have is something called the living urn. Ashes are buried in an urn with seedlings ultimately coming back to life as a glorious tree. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Why don't you log on to the website mngreengraves.com. Learn more about Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. See if it might be something that's meaningful for you. It's a good day to be
4: indigenous. Native Arts Radio presents I'm Awake. Our weekly Native American talk radio show will discuss national and local Native American news and events. Local and national guests will help us keep current with Mother Earth, tribal, and Twin City issues. Native American issues are human issues. We invite all people to walk hand in hand with our struggles, victories, and achievements. Listen Saturdays at 2 p.m. I am awake
6: As with their Eat Street sister on Nicollet Avenue, The Bad Waitress at 700 Central and Northeast is committed to working with local purveyors and serving organic food whenever possible. But the Northeast location is a bit more grown up. This finer diner has a full bar serving craft cocktails and a brand new inventive dinner menu, including the chicken and waffle with roasted half chicken, bourbon pickled jalapeno corn waffle, and a roasted poblano gravy. Check out the Northeast menu at thebadwaitress.com.
2: Hey Minnesota, this is David
5: Pakman and you can catch my show weeknights at 9 for an in-depth look at politics and current events on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Um, Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at
7: ambibulousmn.com. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight will be mostly cloudy with a low around 49. Sunday, partly sunny with a high near 74. Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 54. Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 80. And Monday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 59. Shop local with one of AM950's advertisers for Mother's Day. There's everything from electronics, wellness shops, pet care, electronics, restaurants, and more. It's a great way to support not only AM950, but also local businesses and shops. Find a full list of advertisers at am950radio.com.
0: We're back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host Paul Metza. We just listened to a tune called "Headless Supermodel" by my guest Jesse Sublet, who's a very uh, talented guy. He was born in 1954. I was born in 55, and I've been following his uh, his work for the last couple of years. We're like uh, Beatnik brothers from different mothers, Jesse. Uh, so you played at. Um, 7th Street Entry uh, in 1980 with the hipsters who are celebrating their 40th anniversary, the great Ernie and his brother Billy Batson. And and their father was a great... uh, uh, Journalist for the Minneapolis Star Tribune for years and years and years, but uh, we love those guys. Let's talk. talk. Yeah, I I certainly will. They're just uh, they're just you know as as good as it gets. In fact, Ernie is a librarian at uh, the Northeast Library, which is my the closest library uh, that I can get to, and so I always bump into him over there. So Uh you have a great book out uh tell us about it's called 1960s austin gangsters organized crime that rocked the capitol about the overton gang tell us how you got interested and uh, how the whole thing played out
1: well it was i felt really stupid when i found this story that i was unaware of i felt stupid that i was unaware of it previously it was back in about the year 2000, I was researching my memoir. So, my why did I write a memoir? It was because uh, uh, I, uh, in 1997, I was diagnosed with stage four throat cancer, and uh, it was it was really advanced. I had like four four to five percent chance of survival. So, wow. I decided that to survive I would write a book because uh you know I'd have to you know live to in order to finish it you know
0: (laughs) well there uh, you go yeah it's good to have goals right
1: yeah yeah and uh so the other thing I I had not never thought I would write about but my girlfriend was murdered by a serial killer in 1976 wow so this was an event that really marked me and uh
0: was that did that happen health. in Austin, Texas, Jesse?
1: Yes, here in South Austin. My God. Yeah, and so I, largely, I dealt with it. Other than you know the usual drinking and taking pills for until you, you know, stop. Right. Uh, but by by blocking it out, and so uh, after repressing that for. All those years, it kind of started bubbling up and becoming more of a problem and uh, haunting me more. And so I decided, well, I'll write about it and and deal with it that way. And this was recommended to me also by uh, uh, my colleague, uh, James Elroy, Hmm. who I had known in Los Angeles.
7: Great crime writer.
1: Yeah. Well, you know his story with his mother. He, he was uh, his mother was murdered by uh, and uh, by we don't know who uh, when he was eight years old, yeah. and it was a sensational, scandalous, uh, awful case. And so, uh, when I first met him, it was right around the time of uh, Black Dahlia. Right. and uh, we, So I said, "Look, I know this is what happened. Your mother, I, you know, my girlfriend, was killed." So we started. Uh, we started talking, you know, so uh, we shared our stories and and he, I said, Did, do you think you'll ever write about it? And he said, no, I, I, I can't go. I can't do it. You know, he was part of his shtick. Wow. People knew that about him. That was where his, some of his darkness came from. But then, lo and behold, he does write about it with uh, My Dark Places. It's a great book. It's probably his best book.
0: Wow. What, so a, what, a, said, what an incredibly macabre thing to have in common. Yeah, you know.
1: and so I said, well, how did that work? And he said, I, f- I feel a lot better, you know. I wow. Said, okay, so that's when I decided to do it. I thought, well, it'll help him. Maybe it'll help me. So I went back and I was researching what had happened around the time of her murder, and I, I didn't know that much about the case except uh, that uh, the killer had been, you know, I, he was... In the circle of people we knew, he wasn't a friend of mine, but I, it occurred to me that it was probably that guy. And huh. I told the police after they, when I called them, they pulled me in and they just assumed that I was the murderer because I was the, the boyfriend. I was a long-haired rock and roller. And so they're kind of giving me the third degree. And suddenly I said, wait a minute, I know who did it. And I told them and they they knocked on the guy's door and they knew it was him right away. And, they, and then he confessed to having killed Two other girls. Wow. So he led them to there where he had buried them. And uh, by doing that, he escaped. Uh, he got a little, he got two life sentences rather than uh, getting in line for the death penalty, which was just in being reenacted, re- reactivated. Wow. So. All of that went into this book. So I started researching this because I couldn't deal with it. I, I didn't read about the case. Every time uh, wa- I walked in a room where a TV was on, they were talking about it on the TV. So really, I needed to escape it. So I started reading about that. And then I found the story that uh, happened the same week that she was killed. And uh, it, the headline was something to the effect, uh, uh, Overton Gang May Be Haunting the Austin Police Department, huh. uh, and uh, gang from the 60s, Overton Gang capers, and uh, everything, every line I read about it in this story, which was a little history of the gang, hooked me even more. And I didn't know about these guys. There were ex. There, a lot of them were ex-football players and boxers and just tough guys who uh, uh, had a... Uh, uh, a mini mafia here in Austin where, where they did have enough vice drugs and, and other uh, ways to make a living without working um, to uh, make a go of it. And so these guys were very uh, uh, prolific safe crackers and pimps and uh, bur- uh, gamblers, the kind of gamblers who will cheat you at cards one night and then the next night they'll come in with masks and rob you
0: that way. Wow. And they used to, uh, now there was an interesting part, uh, in the book that, uh, I think it was Tim Overton. Wasn't he a football player at UT? Yes. And uh, they used to have card games in the dormitories. And one of the guys, one of the card players was, uh, Charles Whitman, who of course was the uh, the gunman at uh, at yeah. the tower at, at UT, but I just thought that was a another interesting small world Austin, Texas uh, thing that just, you know, yeah um, it, it, it's, it's, it's stunning, really.
1: It, it's stunning because uh, I mean, when you start uh, investigating things, you, you find all these patterns, it seems like almost everything is connected, but, well, there's a constant theme here in austin that austin is a weird special place but nobody knows exactly why and so when you go back to the 60s when it was a smaller town and it was uh already uh acquiring this this special personality you know that these dis- disparate elements knew each other and you know hung out at the same bars and and stuff like that i just uh, it just really fascinated
0: me. Well, you know, it's it's funny when you think about it. Uh, you you've got this this Overton Gang, and they're and they're they're doing pills and smoking weed like Bob Marley, and 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 uh, continuing in a life of crime. And then the other part of Austin, you have all these mis- uh, musicians dropping pills and smoking weed and becoming this, the Peace and Love psychedelic rock and rollers. You know, Um yeah. You know, it's just yeah. kind of the the left and right hand of culture, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I kept looking for, I really wanted to find the point where Rocky Erickson and Timmy Overton met each other. Right. Because they must have, because they both like go-go. Rocky played in the go-go clubs here, Mm -hmm. and Tim went to them to recruit girls. Wow. uh, And was in them a lot, so I thought, surely, you know, uh, they shared a joint or something, but I, I never found it.
0: You know, it's, uh, I'm going back a little bit at what you were talking about just in terms... I think you and I have kind of the same interest in these little uh, these strange coincidence in, in culture, but you were talking about... Uh, uh, James Elroy and the Black Dahlia murder, where the woman in Los Angeles uh, was it in the f- '40s or '50s? She was found uh, disemboweled, and they're not—they still don't know really who did it. But one of the the people that, that get called in, and this goes back to uh, when you were suspected in, in in the very unfortunate murder of your girlfriend. But one of the suspects, because he was writing a very provocative borderline pornographic letters to certain women in Los Angeles. But one of the guys that got called in as a suspect in the black Dahlia murders was Woody Guthrie.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. I missed that, I, or I forgot about it,
0: wow Well, it's not, you know, it's kind of, it's just one of those things that you've got, you know, if you do enough digging, you yeah. find out these things But yeah. uh, uh, just another kind of strange um, point in time So, yeah. so you were doing uh, some research, and you were just seeing, you, it really kind of dis- uh, rediscovering or discovering the underbelly of uh, the Austin crime scene in the 1960s with your book, right?
1: Yeah, well, uh, as it turned out, uh, and I was looking at 1976, seven, 1976 was a kind of a pivotal year for weird crime. A lot of these guys, uh, uh, the remnants of the Overton gang, which had pretty much been smashed at the end of the 70s, some of them were were reappearing and sort of uh, doing a, a, a last run around the bases, and so they were making headlines. and. Uh, one of them, who friend was friends with Willie Nelson, uh, was murdered uh, spectacularly in uh, the massage parlor that he owned with his wife. And that, that's what the police suspected that the Overton gang uh, was killing each other off. But, huh. but actually, it, uh, it was the guy's wife who had hired uh, some guys with the sh- shotguns to uh, uh, kill her husband. And, uh then uh, many other things happened including uh, a junkyard uh war in which uh, one of the other more spectacular uh thugs in town um, staged a robbery of his main competitor and and uh, it went it went really badly really badly and uh so all these headlines came out of it and they found out it was him. And so uh, other Overton gang members testified in his trial. This guy was, besides uh, being a uh, junkyard tycoon, he was also uh, the top bail bondsman in the county. And he had deals with the sheriff and and he knew all the thugs. And he was just an unrepentant criminal uh, and just a really flamboyant guy. He was really huge. He really looked like Uh, a tougher version of uh, Elvis of the uh, 70s.
0: Wow. We've got Jesse Sublett on the line for the whole show tonight. We're talking about his great book. I really enjoyed it. called 1960s Austin Gangster's Organized Crime That Rocked the Capitol. We're going to have more of Jesse in the last set. We've talked a lot about death in this uh, in this ep in this uh, set. So we're going to go out with a-, a song Jesse wrote and performs here, called "Stones in the Coffin," and then more with Jesse on the Wall of Power Radio Hour after the messages. Thank you.
1: Don't drink a water. That's what Mama said.
2: John The Two Gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metzah. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen?
7: What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance company.
6: Visit the wine bar at Café Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Café Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul.
4: It's home improvement season,
7: and you know there's lots of projects to tackle. Here's one that won't break the budget. Get your air ducts cleaned by Zero Res. They need to be cleaned every three to five years to improve your furnace and your air quality. This month, save $50 when you get your air ducts Zero Resified. Plus this month get three rooms of carpet Zero Res Clean, starting at $139. Call 952-Zero Res or visit ZeroResmn.com. ZeroRes. Spell it backward or forward. Spells the same.
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the other line, all the way from Austin, Texas, uh, songwriter, writer, cool cat and bass player, Jesse Sublet, Jesse, uh, tell us uh, how people can get uh, your books. You've got got you've got over twelve of them, and but certainly uh, the book we're talking about, nineteen sixties Austin gangsters, organized crime that rocked the Capitol. and uh, how can they get the book and and your great music?
1: Well, they they can get the book if they're not in Austin. They can order it on uh, the usual. Um, online sources, Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble. They can, it might be harder on Barnes & Noble, I take that back. I, I, I can't figure out, they just do this regional thing or not, but they could definitely get it on Amazon. Book People is a great store here that has a good website where you can order it. And they really, they're an independent store and they support authors. Or they can uh, write me at my website, com, and, and ask for an autograph copy and I'll fix them up. It's also a Kindle book on uh, on Amazon.
0: And can they also uh, buy some music from you via your website? Yeah, they
1: can find my latest EP on CD Baby and iTunes, and they can also they they can sample it on uh, uh, SoundCloud and stream it there. And uh yeah, you know, that's the main thing. If they're in Austin, they can go to Waterloo Records and buy the physical thing.
0: We've only got about uh, eight minutes in, in this set. Okay. You're the kind of a guy we could we could talk all night about, and we'll we'll have you back on. Yeah. Can I can ask you one quick question uh, about your throat cancer. Were you a smoker? Well, I
1: smoked cigars. I'd I'd really gotten into cigars heavily uh, as a when i started writing uh, a lot and so you you smoke a cigar you kind of need to stay in one place you know Mm -hmm. anyway so uh, that kept me nailed to my desk but i would only smoke like uh, a couple of days sometimes three and my doctor said that that was not the kind of thing that would cause the kind of cancer i had it was more from other factors but it was a really wild crazy case i was misdiagnosed in 1993 in los angeles uh, and they said they took a biopsy and said it was benign, and they were wow. wrong. So by 97, it really spread out. And so it was really uh, some kind of miracle that I survived.
0: And it was very painful, wasn't it, the uh, the uh, uh, regimen you went through?
1: Yeah, yeah. Heavy-duty chemo, radiation, and 13-and-a-half-hour uh, sur- surgery the first time. Oh, man. So I was, I was, uh, yeah. And so you worry that they're going to cut your tongue. And or whether you'll be just horribly disfigured or um. you'll lose your voice, and actually my voice got better. My throat is really structured differently, but uh actually I sing better now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. And and yeah. we're glad we're glad you're over that. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left. You've been in Austin for uh almost four decades. What what? Yeah. I went there for the first time in 1982. I uh, my sister lived down there. It was Christmas time, so the clubs weren't real full. I did see Billy Joe Shaver with about four other people at the Continental a Show. That I'll remember till my dying day. Uh, I kept mm-hmm. missing Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I, I did get a chance to see. Uh, uh, was Tex Thomas at Huttsteiner? Then I, I can't remember. I saw him a few years later, but I made all yeah. the rounds. But I remember going to Anton's when it was on Guadalupe, and um, I was sitting outside on the break, and I had uh, uh, we had Minnesota plates in my car. And these two. Uh, Cowboy hippies uh, asked me that you know if I was in fact from Minnesota, and I said, uh, "Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I'm down here uh, visiting." And <laughs> without skipping a beat, they said, "Would you like to buy a hundred pounds of weed?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> but what yeah. is it about? Uh, Austin. I really started going down there via my friends, uh, book and Edith Michael in '84 and '85. But what makes Austin so damn unique?
1: Well, I, I, the geography had something to do with it. The, the, the water, uh, the access to water and cool swimming holes that made the summers tolerable. Barton
0: Springs. The, I loved it.
1: Yeah, and 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 the, and the the way the hills and the river all come together here. It really sort of framed this location uh to be a really nice looking spot and so i i know that attracted people you know probably going back to uh, when the indians lived here but then the proximity to mexico helped in the uh even in the 50s uh, uh because it was easy to go over there and get uh pot and also uh in the 50s already uh, people were going up uh, anthropology students were going over there to get the uh, peyote buttons Hmm. Which were like a, a dime a piece. Uh, they used to sell them in the nurseries here. So people started getting high here, and and there was a really great black uh, Renaissance uh, here in the fifties. Uh, starting in the forties, there, there there were a couple of really good blues clubs there, and and uh, so when the white blues players from Fort Worth and Dallas started moving down here in the 60s and 70s, they would go over there and hang out and learn, you know, soak it up. So that really influenced that kind of music here.
0: And then there was also I mean, Austin has always been kind of a cultural oasis uh, in the state of Texas. Not just a fantastic music scene, but great writers and artists and uh, progressive uh, folks like Ann Richards and Jim Hightower and just uh, a lot of very forward-thinking people.
1: Yeah, Uh, so yeah, it's it's just fun. Well, it was just it was just a brainy town, and so it got a little more cultured than the other uh, places. And people just expected to have a good time here, Uh, even even before it was really there was really that much going on. They just had the expectation that it was a cool place. You and have so to do a book
0: building on that, yeah, Jesse. You got to do a book about the history of the Driscoll Hotel if somebody hasn't done it already. That's a thought that's I just, cool. uh, uh, the Driscoll Hotel, for those of you that don't know, it's been there since, man, I don't know, 1880 or so. But it was really where a lot of the backroom deals uh, in Texas politics took place, as Austin is the capital of Texas. Uh, and I believe LBJ's brother lived there.
1: Uh, LBJ, uh, Sam uh, might have lived there at one point, but his uh, place he really uh, is known for living was the uh, Alamo Hotel. Oh, okay. uh, so. Yeah.
0: Jesse, we've only got him. Go ahead. uh,
1: LBJ had his uh, post election, his election night parties there and everything. And, you know, LBJ did, you know, things that that he did, (laughs) (laughs) places like that. Uh, So, uh, if the walls could talk type thing. Right. And, you know, it's a monument to. uh, Texas uh, cattle money. It cow gargoyles and uh, uh, the 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 faces of the uh, uh, the Driscoll uh, brothers uh, facing the the uh, Four Directions it's it, the the gargoyles and stuff
0: are, are really pretty funny wow Jesse yeah. we've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you I, I I have to have you on the show again because I know Austin is yeah. going through a lot of changes uh, yeah. and uh, you know with uh, all the uh, the dot coms moving in uh, rising rents and uh, that's effect on the music scene but that will yeah. be for another show Jesse okay, thanks man. so much for taking the time uh, have a wonderful day. I really look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah. And if people want to track down Jesse's work go to jessysublet.com. Have a great day my brother. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brad Knobber, and recorded at the Minneapolis Media Institute. Make sure you support our sponsors. Follow us online at wallofpowerradio.com and like us on Facebook at Wall of Power Radio Hour. And like my daddy said, remember to be kind and make someone happy.